G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our review of the first weekend of finals. And boy, how good is footy, eh? Four terrific games, a total margin in four games of just 35 points which uh, I'm reliably told is the narrowest aggregate for all four finals since the final eight began in uh, all the way back in 1994. Uh, terrific footy to talk about. We're here to take you through a comprehensive review of each game. As I say, a very good afternoon to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? Yeah, I'm well. Well, it was a strange road to get to the finals, but boy, oh boy, what a first week of finals and everything that you said, correct. Um, Record narrow margins in total and just great football to watch. It really was. And, um, you know, it has been a grind, hasn't it? I think this was the commentary a a little bit last night that, uh, you know, it has been a bit of a grind, but when you get, finals like that and particularly crowds and the sort of noise that we were privy to last night in Perth um, sort of makes it all worthwhile, reminds you why you love footy so much. And, uh, you know, I think the upshot is where, you know, if the rest of the finals can be half that good, we're in for a treat. Um, We've got some, you know, established teams we're used to. We've got some relative newcomers uh there's some great storylines in there it's uh, it's all set up for you know what could be albeit october rather than september a very very memorable final series indeed well there are so many sub stories but it just proved last night that colin would win over the west coast eagles that what appears obvious with hubs and travel restrictions when footballers get on the ground, you can't write the script beforehand. And, yeah, it was just it, – it shows that we are really no closer to – and I think that's what the first week of the finals did. It, it eliminated two teams, but it jumbled the deck of cards, didn't it, in terms of who's going to be the eventual Premier. We love a jumbled deck of cards. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what else we love, Finey. There is nothing better during an entertaining final series than entertaining, fast, reliable, nutritious and mouth-watering food. And there's only one place you can get that, Mark. Where is it? Andrews Hamburg is 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Ding, correct answer. That would be my special topic in Mastermind. You know where they sit you down? Your time starts now. Where do you get the best burger? 144 Bridport Street. Describe the buns. Soft, pillowy, always fresh. Describe the service. Ding, by the way, correct. Friendly and consistent. Ding. How long have they been in business? 81 years. Ding. Where do they rate as Australia's best burger? First, ding. I'd have a big lead in Mastermind, wouldn't I? And what would your prize be? Nothing else but a succulent Andrews hamburger, One Port Street, Albert Park, I'll tell you what else really appeals this time of year, Fonny, a succulent home renovation. I never heard of home renovations described as succulent, but you know what? Listening to Bruce McAvaney, there's no adjective that's out of bounds. Succulent, beautiful, delicious. They all describe West Point properties, Nick Spartels, rebuilds and build from scratch. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> you make me laugh. Um, succulent. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I went with that, but I thought, why not? <clears throat> you made me laugh because you mentioned Bruce McAvaney. I've still got a piece of commentary of his from uh, Friday night resounding through my ears. In fact, 
I think we might be able to play it right now. Bolton so quick. Rich could be in trouble. Bolton turns him. Little, 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 little. Goal. Was it? Was it? Yes, it was. There you go. What do you make of that? <laughs> little, little, little what? <laughs> little. Little. Oh, I don't know. He's got to send out a, a press release what Little is. <laughs> well, mate, there's a Robert Plant song called Little by Little. Uh, we could play yeah. that. I, I don't know where he was going with that. And the, uh, the punchline is, of course, that it wasn't a goal because he hit the post. Although, in fairness, I don't think any of us realised that first up. Oh, uh, the umpire did signal the goal, so he was able to play out the theatre. But was there <laughs> a little kick? Is Shai Bolton a I little think... player? Yeah, no, I think he was getting at the kick. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Where were you going with that, Bruce? Anyway, was it, was it? Was it? All I can say is, wow, Brian Little. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Or Brian Taylor. Wow, we. Uh, all right. <laughs> all a bit of fun. Uh, we're going to go through each of the four games in detail. Let's get into it. On footyology, wrap around. Well, it all kicked off. Thursday evening in Adelaide with Port Adelaide, who'd finished on top, taking on Geelong, who had finished fourth. And the result was a 16-point win to the power through to their first preliminary final since 2014, their first home preliminary final since 2004. We all remember how that ended up. The final scores, nine goals for 58, defeated the Cats, Five goals, 12, 42. The goal kickers for the power, three to Motlop, two to Ebert, singles to Dixon, Rosie, Laddams and Marshall. For the Cats, two goals to Reece Stanley, singles the rest, Tui, Selwood and Dangerfield. Well, it was always relatively close, Fonny, but um, you always felt like, Port sort of had the edge, didn't you? And uh, funnily enough, Geelong kicked the first goal of the game. We saw a bit of a surprise with the matchups with Trent McKenzie lining up on Tom Hawkins. That would have certainly raised a few eyebrows. Cats got the first goal. But after that point, Port uh, really started flexing their muscle. Uh, Motlop got there first. Charlie Dixon got on the board. Um, only a lead of three points at quarter time, but uh, already Port showing that uh, finals nerves certainly weren't going to be a consideration for them. You know, Geelong really kicked themselves out of this game. <laughs> you got to watch that. Listen to it. Listen to previous podcasts to know why I said that. No, this was this no, that was, was final siren. If you're talking about final siren, yeah. our interminable debate about <laughs> the, this was this was indicative of, and actually, there's a term that you use, Rowan, and I really like it. I'm going to bring it into my speech, and that is instructional. It was instructional for the rest of the finals as to what teams do to try and enforce and imprint their style of play onto a game to win that game. And we know that Geelong had really caused Port Adelaide to go off script in the home and away series, didn't they? Because they deprived Port Adelaide ball. And when Port Adelaide got it, they panicked in the home and away game. They lost by 10 goals. They kicked it long up in the air. They weren't kicking to Dixon. They weren't at the fall of the ball. They they rushed their possessions. But boy, did they learn their lesson. Because in that second quarter, Geelong did apply the same sort of grip on Port Adelaide that Port Adelaide failed to handle in the home and away series. But they'd learned and they were patient and they played the ball across the field and waited and bided their time, even if it meant till after half time, which in fact it did mean for the game to open up. And when it opened up, Rowan, who was the quicker team? And I think that's where Geelong lost the game. Port Adelaide wins the game. When the game opened up a bit, when there was a bit of loose ball, some spillage, speed won the game. And you can go through those players that really lifted and had the leg speed to beat the Cats. Do you agree? 
I do agree. Um, just on those opportunities lost, I mean, um, Tom Hawkins, the most obvious offender, and uh, pity really, he's had his kicking boots on all year, but it just seemed with each missing shot, his confidence sunk a little bit more to the point where he marked that one relatively straight in front and inexplicably played on to snap on his left and missed that one. Um, should was, that, mention- was that finals football? Is that is that finals football getting in between his ears? Because that's un- Tom Hawkins like, mm. and he's not a rookie. No, potentially. Uh, you know, certainly the crowds, I think, you know, for sides that haven't yes. necessarily yep. been used to it or a factor. I uh, just want to mention specifically Sam Powell Pepper's first quarter, five clearances he won in that first quarter, which mm. I thought really set the tone for him. It was a tough performance by Port. And, yeah, you're right. They, uh, they weren't ruffled when Geelong uh, tried to slow them down in that second term, didn't fall into the trap of just bombing wildly down the line and it's a long defence clearing up. And uh, they held their nerve. And I I think they were able to stretch Geelong in terms of that run and uh, endurance, if you like. And, uh, yeah, in the second half, when they were able to just wear Geelong's defensive grip down a little bit, they were able to exploit that. So Port still leading by a point at half time, but uh, no doubt the decisive period of playing scoreboard terms that third quarter, the power adding three goals to uh, the Cats, only a goal. We saw goals to Rosie. Uh, we saw Motlop kick his third. Um, Ebert, another one. Ebert, uh, a, a snap under a bit of heat, but managed to put that through. Um, that saw Port up to a game-high 21-point lead. And uh, you knew then the Cats were in a bit of trouble. They, Speaking about that toughness, by late in that third quarter, they had almost doubled the Cats for contested ball. And that's significant because the Cats have been pretty good at that statistic all year. Um, Dangerfield got one right uh, before the siren, just about 20 seconds before the siren, to give the Cats a sniff. 14 points. Did you feel three-quarter time like the Cats could still potentially come over the top for any? No, I didn't. And the reason was because of how Port Adelaide had won the lead and started to get on top was because they were looking like the quicker team. Uh, Selwood started... He had a good first half, I felt, Selwood. But I guess maybe lack of game time and his age and just the nature of the player, he started to look a bit slower. That midfield, all of a sudden, we didn't have Dangerfield in the midfield. He had been sent forward and, of course, kicked that fantastic running goal. But it was an unusual thing to see no Selwood. Obviously, Ablett um, coming towards the end of his career. There was no Ablett, Selwood or Dangerfield in the midfield. It fell to Guthrie. It fell to... um, Parfit, it, it fell to unlikely players. It, even though the scoreboard said Geelong could get back in it, I had a feeling the longer this game was going, the more it suited Port Adelaide's vibrancy and vitality. The only caveat, of course, you don't want to lose players. And in that third quarter, the impeccably brave Xavier Dersma went for a mark came off second best both in the marking contest and got concussed. So one of their soldiers was out of play. Yes. Well, uh, Reece Stanley kicked the first goal the last quarter to bring it back to seven points. Uh, it, it did take seven and a half minutes, though, and it was almost immediately answered. And uh, it was Peter Laddams who um, kicked that goal. But the significant thing in that goal I don't know if you remember it, was our boy Zach Butters, everyone yep. knows it's Butters, hurled himself at a loose ball there against two opponents, um, managed to uh, get the ball forward. I think Motlop tapped it uh, onto Laddams, who uh, ran into the open goal. That brought it back to 13 points. And then they soaked up the time really well in the last quarter port. And by the time the next goal was scored, uh, there was only four minutes left on the clock and it was Port's goal and it was a sealer. It was to Todd Marshall, uh, good conversion from about 50 under pressure. 
And uh, that was all she wrote. So a fantastic win to the power. I, I, I don't like, well, I do like saying I told you so, and it's not rocket science, but I did say one reason I thought Port was being underestimated as a flag proposition was the toughness and experience of their midfield drivers. Not lost on me that the three leading possession winners for them were Ollie Wines, Travis Boak and Tom Rockcliffe and uh, definitely up among their best players on the evening. Their midfield, look, Rockcliffe, he's never been a favourite of mine during a career that's been high in possession, but no, he played a great game. And this year, I think, deserves all the plaudits that he has received. He led the 22 players in tackles, so most tackles of any player. And his ability in that important last quarter where time saturation was key, just to make position, get a ball or two. You know, there's different types of courage in football. I'm not saying that he's not courageous, but the courage required to gut run when your gut's burning is something that Tom Rockliffe has in spades. You know what was very important for Port Adelaide, Rowan? In, low scoring, in this low-scoring final, and we can expect as the season has been a low-scoring final series, how important that Geelong's third and fifth goal, Geelong's third goal just before halftime, and their fifth goal at the start of last quarter, were replied or responded to by Port Adelaide within seconds. And I think that really shows Port Adelaide's focus and ability to, to respond to what happens in a game. It stands in great stead for this season, Rowan. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, quick final word on the Cats. I think one thing that you look at and worry about a bit is the fact that their mainstays, well, you know, the two drivers, Dangerfield and Selwood, have been arguably their two best players on the evening, and yet they've pulled up short. Uh, is it... Uh, to quote a much-quoted line, deja vu all over again. Are we going to see the Cats pretty good during the season, but just not quite good enough when it matters? Look, interesting next game, isn't it? Collingwood were, we'll discuss this, heroic but and brilliant in beating West Coast, but it's a very tough ask because they combated, you know, isolation in the hub, they put so much focus along uh, Collingwood into that win and they have to fly back across country. It's onerous. Geelong sit there waiting for them. So I don't rule them out for the next game. But, yeah, uh, Geelong's... Uh, it, it, it rears its ugly head again, and that is the limitations of Geelong during the final series. And a lot of it is because of a dependence on key players and I guess the better the opponent the more likely that can be short-circuited well it's going to be pretty massive obviously next weekend Geelong v Collingwood in a cutthroat final Port through to a preliminary that was Thursday night let's talk about Friday Friday evening at the Gabba second qualifying final it was uh, a replay of last year's qualifying final Brisbane taking on Richmond with one very significant difference. And that was the result because it saw the Lions 15-point victors and proceeding to a home preliminary final. The final scores, 10 goals, 9, 69 Brisbane, Richmond, 8, 6, 54. Another cracking game, Finey. Uh, one in which Brisbane really showed its uh, harder edge, I think, in the 2020 version. But the first quarter particularly, we should talk about that, because it was a sensational quarter of footy. Richmond, a goal up at the first change, 4-1 to 3-1. But seven goals and a quarter uh, in this current environment is no mean feat. And uh, to do so in a final, and it was tough. It was uh, There was pr- plenty of open play. It was exciting. It was just what finals footy should be. You know, your that first quarter, the, your appetite for football as a football viewer was 
absolutely, it, 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 you know, the, the juices were flowing. What a quarter of football. How about some of the goals? Not just the fact that they were scoring goals. Daniel but, Rich to kick us off in 40, 40 seconds in. Magnificent. That was, you know, a, a superb piece of play. Liam Baker streaming down from the back line. What a beautiful kick of goal that was. Mm. Um, at quarter time, we are set up in perfect conditions, by the way. And we should mention four finals. Wasn't it great, the conditions? The, uh, a bit of a question about sort of playing football in October, dewy, blah, 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 blah. Beautiful conditions. And we are sitting on the edge of our seats because we know that either of the by quarter, I tell you what, I knew, Rowan, by quarter of time, either of these teams could win the premiership. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. The, the one thing I did think at the first change, just having a look at the stats, was uh, Richmond basically had a slight edge in most statistical categories. Inside 50s, for example, they led that 12 7 at the first change. Um, they'd won fractionally more clearances, they were heading contested ball. Uh, they were uh, well up in handball, getting that frenetic ball movement happening. And I must admit, I, I did think there was a certain inevitability about it. They would gradually roll over the top of the lines, but it was not to be. And the Ro- hey, Rowan, Rowan, we should talk about something amazing at quarter time. What's that? The Brownlow favourite, zero kicks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Zero handballs. And you know what? Even more tellingly, Zero tackles. He could not. He was a ghost. He was a ghost out there, Rowan. Well, he certainly turned that around in the second quarter uh, because uh, eight disposals to Lockie Neal in that second term. They um, started to make their presence really felt in under the first minute of the second quarter. Goal to Charlie Cameron. Castagna hit back for the Tigers. But no doubt in scoreboard terms, a critical period of that game late in the second quarter, um, Brisbane adding three in the space of six minutes. One to Cam Rayner from a long way out, about 57 metres I made it. It was a huge kick that bounced in the square and went through. Uh, Cameron, another one where he ran in on the tightest of angles and still managed to thread it. And then, of course, uh, dramatic, uh, well, not controversial because they were both there, but Richmond, very costly, slip on the disciplinary front, giving away two uh, 50-metre penalties in succession to allow the aforementioned Lockie Neal to you know kick what? still you from know a fair way You know what's about that one? What's that? Lockie Neal handballed it before he kicked it. So he shouldn't have had the kick? No, 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 no. He handballed it to, I can't remember who, and the umpire rightly said you can't run through the mark to receive. To Daniel Rich again, probably. I think it was Daniel Rich. But Rich had run between Neil and the player on the mark to take that handball. So, rightly, the umpire said, no, you've got to take it. At that point, did anybody really believe, including Lockie Neil, that he was going to kick that goal? Well, I think he believed it because he, he certainly gave it a crack and it was a, a beautiful kick. Uh, just got over the line, but uh, that's all it takes. And uh, that gave Brisbane a 13-point lead at half time. Look, um, again, I will say I, I still just expected Richmond to crank it up. We know that they uh, can often just wear sides down and then just crush them. And uh, I didn't think they'd crush them, but I still expected them to win. But Brisbane just kept asserting itself on the game. Again, an early goal in the third term to Cameron. Uh, Rioli got the answer for Richmond, but the margin blowing out to 20 points by the time Zach Bailey um, snapped one from about 20 metres out. That gave Brisbane five out of the previous six goals. They then finally had a chance to pretty much seal the game, but uh, having been accurate to that point, a couple of misses, uh, one from Jared Berry, a dribbler from a little, 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 Dribbler from Hugh McLuckage, which uh, I think hit the post. And you thought, oh, boy, is oh. this going to come back to bite them? Yeah, no, it didn't hit the post. He missed it by he missed it by a mile. That was a terrible kick by McLuckage. You know, we talk about the rubber 
that that fictitious rubber band. And I think any of those goals, the McCluggage, Jared Berry, even Caden Coleman, even though he probably never was going to get the kick in when he got caught beautifully by Asprey on the siren, might have been the rubber band snapper. Talk about that in a moment. I want to quickly mention that second quarter, Rowan. After the game, Jared Lyons, it's taken him three clubs to play for the team that he was born to play for, you could say, uh, Lyons. But he's a, he's actually a great interview. He's a pretty honest sort of bloke. And he said, wow, that that's the, that's the most high-intensity game I've ever played in. Then he said, that's the best we've played ever talking about Brisbane while he's been there. And then he said, that's the best the forward lines played. He was full on. Well, he could have added that that second quarter was the best quarter that that Brisbane team has played in. Gee, wow. That any team, you know, in boxing terms, and I know Bruce likes his, um, like, like, you know, likes, comparing a game of football to boxing and later on because Barty was in the crowd he went for tennis he likes his analogies does our Brucey but he did rightly compare it to a boxing bout where Richmond were trying to lay this knockout blow in the second quarter could not could not deliver it and then themselves got put on their ass for a knockdown just before half time wow what an effort by Brisbane to turn it around in that quarter because so often in footy row and don't you find that teams need to get back in the huddle for coaches' instructions to turn around the flow of a bad quarter. But it was great how Brisbane did it themselves without requiring the instructions from the coach. It was. It was. uh, And by three-quarter time, they certainly had a fair advantage, uh, Richmond, with all sorts of work to do. Uh, One stat that sticks in my head, and it says plenty about this season, the biggest uh, three-quarter time deficit that any side had turned around to win was 16 points, just 16 points. So leading by 21, Brisbane would have been pretty confident. Daniel Rioli got Richmond back with uh, some sort of chance, uh, margin 15 points, about eight minutes into the last quarter. Then... That uh, little, little, little snap from Shy Bolton, which uh, appeared to have brought it back to nine points um, quite some time later, uh, being ruled to have brushed the post. So that was a, a close shave. Nick, uh, Nick, Jack Rewalt did get Richmond back within eight points. There were four minutes and eight seconds left on the clock when Jack kicked that. I reckon there were still people thinking, oh... They're going to do it. They're going to do it. They doubled Brisbane on the inside 50 count to that stage of the last quarter. But the Lions did muster the energy to mount one more attack and a hurried snap from Hugh McLuggage, another one which had to go through the review process, made it 15 points. There was two and a half minutes left on the clock then. Game over. Brisbane ends up victorious and through to a preliminary final. I think we all agree, though, Finey, we haven't seen the last of the Tigers by a long stretch. They are as capable uh, as any side, I think, since Hawthorne in 2015 of being able to overcome a qualifying final loss and still potentially win a premiership. Yeah, I agree, mainly because they will bring back into the side Tom Lynch. Now, we need to discuss some distinction in the ranks, Rowan. After the game, Tom Lynch has indicated to some people in the press that he was available to play. He was ready to go and told by the coach that he was not going to play. You know, Damien Hardwick has had a brilliant reign as Richmond coach and I wonder how far this is going to be explored. Mubla Chol did not fill his boots, did not fill Soldo's boots in second ruck duties. Lynch coming back into that team is an immeasurable improvement. One of the main reasons, or a great reason, why Richmond is still a very live chance to win three out of four premierships in the last four years, adding this one. So questions do need to be asked there. We just need to briefly mention a couple of the heroes 
for Brisbane Lions. I thought Oscar McInerney was fantastic taking advantage of a shorter ruckman in Nan Curvis and also menacing up forward. Uh, Daniel Rich, I think, you know, had a great game within his limitations. He got caught out at the pace of the ball with Shy Bolton. But how about Charlie Cameron? Not an easy job playing that small forward in a final row and high pressure against the brilliant defence of the Tigers. And he was superb. So, yeah, and McCluggage as well. Some real standouts for the Brisbane Lions. Starsevich as well. I thought uh, he's really added something. And we did talk about this Friday night. Didn't do a lot, but I think Coleman has really added something to that lineup as well in terms of X Factor. Uh, great win by Brisbane and great to see. Uh, they went out in straight sets last year, of course. They are a much tougher proposition in 2020. Who knows where that is going to take them ultimately a few weeks from now. All right, that is Thursday and Friday night's qualifying finals. Let's talk about two elimination finals. Saturday afternoon and the first of our knockout finals at the Gabba between St Kilda and the Western Bulldogs. Another epic game, epic finish. And in the end, it was St Kilda victorious, winning their first final since beating the same opponent in the 2010 preliminary final. St Kilda three-point winners, 10 goals, 7 67, defeating the Western Bulldogs, 9-10-64. Two goals to King, two to Ryder, two to Membry, two to Geary, singles to Loney and Butler, all singles for the Bulldogs. Daniel, Hunter, Liberatore, Crozier, Johannesson, Dunkley, Wallace, Bruce and Norton. It was the Saints um, who really stamped their authority on this game for much of it. Although, finally, it was the Bulldogs leading at quarter time, three goals to two. What would you make of the opening flurries? Um, Sort of predictably, there was some end-to-end football where both teams were able to get in transition and likewise, defensively, the opposition not being able to do a whole heap about it. From St Kilda's perspective, there were clear nerves. Some players who had been rock solid during the season showed some finals nerves. Nick Caulfield, a couple of spills. Jack Steele, a couple of rushed kicks. So for teams like St Kilda out of the finals for a long side time, and Bulldogs who made the finals last year but got unceremoniously removed by a more vigorous GWS, uh, nerves were expected and really the game could be decided by the team to settle first. So by quarter time, we were still waiting to see which team could find their best selves. There was some good football played, but there was better to come. Yeah, certainly was. Uh, second term, can't ignore this from a Bulldog perspective, fairly critical in terms of of uh, the aerial duels, they lost Zane Cordy injured. Um, and that would prove pretty critical in the wash-up because I think ultimately this was a game where the Saints' domination of the air probably was the difference between the two sides. They got their uh, noses in front in this second quarter and would keep them there. Loney, uh, goal to him. Max King is really starting to work his way into the game, kicked one. And then Paddy Ryder, who was a massive influence on this game and sadly, literally in the last couple of minutes, uh, did his hamstring and uh, that will be it, you think, for Paddy Ryder. But um, big goal to him. St Kilda, uh, seven points up at half time, but really having started to dominate the play a bit, I felt... Um, they won the contest ball reasonably handsomely. Marks inside 50 were telling. It was 8-3 to three by halftime. Contested marks, 13-5. to five. And King had taken four of them. So for a young guy playing his first final, he was a big influence for him. Huge. I mean, this is a, a player that towards the end of the season, just sort of um, uh, effort was there, but tiring a bit and missed one of... St Kilda's last couple of games rested 
put the week off. We talk about players coming back from injury being helped by the week off. The other thing is that for especially young footballers, a long football season, and this one shorter than most seasons, but the compressed nature of the football was exhausting. He was well served by that week off. He looked vibrant. And the one thing about Max King, maybe it comes with youth, but not daunted by the finals, not nervous, just excited to be sort of uh, uh, free, fit, fresh and flying for balls. He looked the most dangerous forward on the ground by a long chalk. Yeah, big structural problems for the Bulldogs. Norton actually was rushed back at the end of the second quarter to cover for the injured Zane Cordy. About five minutes ago in that quarter, St Kilda sort of seemed to be released from the shackles of nervousness and started to play some really good football in the way they had played during the season. Vigorous, taking the game on and key to their improved football, I thought, was Hunter Clark in the back half. He really took it upon himself to, to himself to grab the ball and get it out of there. He's a Beautiful player, becoming almost Pendlebury-like in high traffic, slows down, takes a good step, but just near half-time, he seemingly was caught and gone for all money where he was able with one hand to thrust it on his boot and do a little sidekick out to a St Kilda teammate, I think Ben Patton, to release the pressure. Wow, what a good effort by that young player. Yes, at half-time, St Kilda led, but maybe seven points didn't Oh, it did. It was it was the right margin, but for watchers of the game, you're quite right, Rowan. The portents were good for St Kilda. Well, one man who had a pretty profound influence on this game uh, and plenty of finals experience, of course, Dan Hannabury, um, thought he was really prolific. Third quarter particularly really making his presence felt. Jaron Geary in that defensive forward role, uh, always great when you can do a job as a defensive forward and curb your direct opponent, but also hit the scoreboard yourself, which he managed to do. But well, I don't, I don't think he curbed his opponent. I did early on, I thought. Daniel ended up having a lot of influence, but uh, I thought he did his role when he was required early on. Yeah, but that scoreboard impact was huge. It was. And uh, there's always a period in these games we're finding which in scoreboard terms is the the critical few moments. And in St Kilda's case, it's probably a seven-minute period at the back end of the third quarter. And that saw three unanswered goals to Geary, his second of the game. Uh, sorry, that was his first. Ryder um, and Dan Butler, who, uh, again, that capacity to get to the uh, crumbs of an aerial contest has been so valuable for the Saints all year. And it was his goal shortly before the three-quarter time siren, which put the Saints 26 points up in the context of a tight final that was always going to be difficult to retrieve. And frankly, the Bulldogs look gone for all money. Uh, But credit where it's due, Finey, they came flying back into this game in the final term. And the man who basically the difference between two forward setups, one which worked very efficiently and one which was dysfunctional. Aaron Norton, perhaps still a bit ginger because of that uh, cheekbone break that he wore a helmet to counter, suddenly sprang into action and took a couple of great contested grabs. Uh, He kicked the first goal of the last quarter for the Doggies, brought it back to 17 points. There was still eight and a half minutes left on the clock, so retrievable. But the tide of possession, uh, about halfway through the tournament, inside 50s to the quarter were 10-1 the Bulldogs' way. They missed a couple of chances. Ed Richards missed an opportunity. Geary kicked a goal for the Saints, which he thought, well, that's finally settled it. 22 points now, seven and a half minutes left. But the Bulldogs just refused to say die. Lockie Hunter brought it back to 16 points with six minutes left on the clock. Uh, Norton creating that goal as well. Uh, Dunkley had a chance to bring them closer. He missed the shot. But then a snap from Tom Liberatore. Four minutes left on the clock now and the margin back to nine points. 
Saints fans getting very, very nervous indeed. Um, Mitch Wallace missed a chance. They certainly had their opportunities. Caleb Daniel got a perhaps questionable free kick for too high. He converted from about 30 metres out. And the margin was back to three points with two minutes, five seconds left on the clock. How are you feeling then, Finey? Yeah, not good. There was, amongst all that, and well, well described, St Kilda did have a moment very similar to Charlie Cameron's magnificent goal of a hit-out by Oscar McInerney in that final. Jack Billings got the ball right up against the behind post, but at full pace and tried to steam into goal and slam it through. That would have settled the argument, but it was a point. And that's when they went downfield and Caleb Daniel gold. St Kilda could not lay a mitt on the ball. I will say one thing that I think the Saints got wrong in that last quarter. As you said, Bulldogs had their chance because there were quite a few behinds. Uh, Dougal Howard's kicking in deteriorated during that last quarter. What St Kilda needed to do was find a man short. I don't think he had the confidence to do so. Kept kicking predictably out to Ryder, but Ryder was tiring. His last kick in from that miss by Mitch Wallace uh, went straight to English, and that really, uh, English put them back in, stoppage, free kick to Daniel. That, that St Kilda just could not lay a mitt on the ball, and dogs predictably were going out to the, I don't know what side of the ground it is, it's where the coaches and the players are positioned, and St Kilda couldn't get involved. Two and a half minutes to go. Yeah, St Kilda supporters didn't feel great. I must say, in a quarter dominated by the Bulldogs, St Kilda did play that last couple of minutes pretty well. And Caulfield, who had a good last quarter, really St Kilda's best defender, uh, got a high tackle from have a guess who to settle the game, Rowan. Yeah, it was uh, a big mark to Rowan Marshall right at the finish too. They yeah, they did slow it down and, and sort of just see out the last few seconds pretty professionally, I thought. Did you see who, see who tackled Caulfield High for that free kick? Uh, it was Josh Bruce. Yep. Good on you, Bruce. He won last act for the Saints. Oh, a bit. I thought he was a pretty good player for St Kilda. I think that's a bit. Uh, I said, uh, I said, good on you. We loved it. Bit mean spirited of you. No, um, I said we. Yeah. Okay. I got the joke. I got the joke. I don't know, but you know, I don't know what his future is. Aren't the Bulldogs going to draft? the new Buddy Franklin this year? Oh, there's always a new Buddy Franklin. Uh, well, look, we, we need to wrap this game up. And quick word on the Bulldogs, because you were very bullish about them, pardon the pun, pre-season. I was pretty optimistic too, but um, they've had their moments and we kept saying, oh, gee, they can be dangerous if this and if that. But the bottom line is too often they've pulled up short against quality opposition. Yeah. You know what? I and I don't want to be hard on Josh Bruce. He's been a very good footballer. But I, I think a lot of optimism came from the recruitment of Bruce and Alex Keith. And Bruce has not provided that second tall forward target that that team. And all teams need a couple of tall forwards if they're going to progress and, and be a genuine premiership threat. English up and down this season. And we'll see how his development continues. But for the doggies... Look, their best football was in the last third of the year and they will go back to trade week with a couple of deficiencies and look to fill those holes. They will indeed. And St Kilda live to fight on. They will take on Richmond in a first or a semi-final, their first finals meeting since 1973. Yeah, just quickly on that, Rowan, uh, you rightly pointed out, look, Paddy Ryder, for mine, was best on ground. But also, uh, St Kilda's plan to try and beat the Mighty Tigers would have started with that ruck combination of Ryder and Marshall because Nan Curvis on his own, assuming Lynch comes in for Soldo, that would have been a great place for St Kilda to attack the Tigers. The loss of Paddy Ryder, pretty insurmountable, I reckon, for the Saints. And what a great season he has had. Yeah, he has. Uh, let's let's hope he goes on with it again next year. All right, one game to go, and what a classic it was. Let's talk about that now.
Optus Stadium, Perth, Saturday night. Those great finals rivals, West Coast and Collingwood, they have added another chapter to that storied rivalry. What an epic game of footy this was. I think pretty clearly the best game of 2020. It had everything you want in a game of football. Uh, nonetheless, a very, very dramatic finish. And it produced arguably one of the greatest finals wins of all time, given the obstacles Collingwood were up against. This was just heroic. And they won the day by one point, 12 goals, four, 76, surviving West Coast, 11, 9, 75. The goal kickers, three to Mason Cox, three to Myacek, two to Dugowie, singles to Adams, Noble, Elliott, and Hoskin Elliott for the Eagles. Three to Kennedy, three to Darling, two to Allen, the big guns firing, singles to Ainsworth, Cripps, Ryan. Well, so many twists and turns this game. Uh, but Collingwood came out. You, you knew within two minutes, finally, Collingwood were up for it. And uh, you certainly knew it by about the 20-minute mark of the first quarter. Because after Jack Darling kicked the first goal this game, Collingwood raffled on four goals in, according to my stats, little more than about six minutes. Three of them in succession to Mason Cox, who absolutely channeled memories of that 2018 preliminary final. Goal to Taylor Adams. And uh, coming up to quarter time, it was the Pies with a 16-point lead, critical period of football, which set the tone for the whole game. Uh, you're spot on. Two minutes into that game, Rowan, and travelling cross-country, stuck in a hotel for seven days. All the hardships faced by Collingwood melted away because here we were again, Collingwood on the road against finals arch rival West Coast Eagles, and it only took a couple of minutes to realise they were going to be in for the fight of their life, the home team. Mason Cox, well, he is much maligned. We know that when he doesn't play well, he looks like a fish out of water. But when he does play well, he looks unstoppable. And by a quarter time, you're really asking, well, McGovern and Barras have got no answer. Just keep putting it on the head of the American Collingwood and you're going to cruise home. Of course, it didn't work like that, but it was a great, great way for Collingwood to take advantage of their mentally very fast start. I thought they were in the game from the get-go and Mason Cox made it count on the scoreboard. Hugely valuable. He was. Uh, Liam Duggan, very prolific for the Eagles early on with 12 disposals. I thought the second quarter, we really saw West Coast sort of show the full extent of its wares. They kicked four goals to two in that second term. And the potency of that forward setup really uh, beginning to appear apparent. Uh, appear apparent? I don't know why I said that. Uh, but two goals to Kennedy in that second term. One to Darling, one to Ainsworth. Uh, the key for them had to be just getting the ball in cleanly and quickly. And uh, the midfield, though, it, it was a bit of a worry for the Eagles. Luke Shuey, of course, coming back from injury, was really struggling to get into the game. Adam Trelaw and Taylor Adams and Scott Pendlebury, as always, setting the tone for the Pies. And Josh Dacos, uh, really good game from him. Boy, he's matured so much as a footballer this year. The Pies narrowly in front in the contested ball. Three more inside 50s to halftime. They still led by three points. Did you feel, Finey, like they were going to hang on? No. Uh, the problem that every team faces when you face West Coast, and I love the Chris Scott quote, Chris Scott quote, and I use it all the time. The problem about playing West Coast is when you kick a goal, the ball goes back to the middle. The problem started becoming apparent. And Nick Natanui was, by half time clearly in the ascendancy against Grundy. And wasn't this going to play out interestingly in the second half when Nathan Buckley wisely turned to 
he's deputised Ruckman in Cameron Darcy, Darcy Cameron, for the surprise responsibilities of starting quarters and taking that last couple of minutes. That would play out in the second half. But no, I was worried about the influence out of the middle for Nick Nat. Well, Collingwood, they just have a fantastic ability to hang in there. Um, And towards the back end of a third quarter, it was they who started generating the more opportunities. They kicked three of the last four goals of that third term to turn a deficit into, at the final change, a 10-point break. Uh, Hoskin Elliott kicking a goal uh, after a handball from Elliott. Majacek. Um, beginning to work his way into proceedings. He goaled from Mark about 25 metres out. Uh, goal from Dugowie. And uh, Collingwood, 10 points up. Uh, West Coast, though, finding start of the last quarter, they came all guns blazing. And I think 90% of people watching this game would have thought, uh, here we go. Brave stuff, Pies, but pretty inevitable this finish. Liam Ryan, God, he was playing some fantastic footy. That first goal in under a minute, just textbook um, bit of football. Nick Natanui tap to Tim Kelly, clearance down to Flying Ryan. Oscar Allen, uh, then a snap from uh, about 25 metres out, five minutes in. And West Coast had hit the front. Kennedy missed a couple of opportunities to stretch that lead. Uh, but back came the Pies, finally, with one last gasp effort. Incredible stuff. Started by Majacek with a really unlikely goal on his left foot on the run. Just kept going and going and, and went all the way through. Uh, put the Pies back in front. That was the seventh lead change of the game. An amazing snap from Dugowie. Uh Put them seven points up. And then Majacek coming from nowhere to Mark from close range, threaded it through, uh, coming around the corner, and the Pies, 13 points up with a tick under six minutes to play. Well, well, first of all, Dugowie and Majacek, pretty inconsequential till late in that third quarter. Uh, Dugowie never won to be written out of a script that involves a close finish, as you said, uh, put himself in the game with a goal in the third quarter and that great step in the last quarter. My check, he's done this before, been quiet and come good late in the game. Now, I know, I don't know what the goal of the year, who won the goal of the year? Has it been announced? It's probably a home and away award. Maybe comes at the end of the season. I know they were saying Shy Bolton's was the goal of the year, the little, 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 before we worked out that it was a point. But I'll tell you something about that goal by my check. And, you know, I don't know if finals goals count for goal of the season. He has smashed that ball off his left foot from 40 metres out. It went that fast. The goal umpire had to duck underneath it. It was, un- that was the most wonderful kick. 13 points up, six minutes to go. I guess I felt watching the game that Collingwood had, had, had not miraculously, had brilliantly put this game to bed. But Rowan, this first week of the finals should have taught me one thing, and that is don't turn away from the screen. There's more to happen. Yeah, well, there certainly was um, a critical moment in Collingwood's defence where Braden Maynard got himself into a bit of trouble. The ball turned over. Liam Ryan, amazing pass under under some heat, found Josh Kennedy. He brought it back to seven points with uh, four and a half minutes left. Uh, then Jack Darling, a free kick, uh, too high a tackle from Jack Crisp. Darling converts the opportunity. It is back to one point the difference. One minute, 17 left on the clock. Crucial last centre bounce. Collingwood going with Darcy Cameron in the ruck rather than Brody Grundy. Managed to square that uh, final ruck duel. Collingwood actually won the clearance. And then an amazing uh, bounce of the footy. Adam Trelaw kicked. Looked like it was going to roll through. Uh, Bounced back on itself and stayed in play. 
McGovern picked it up and you thought, oh, no, here we go. It's the grand final from two years ago all over again, the clutch play started by Jeremy McGovern. But another clutch play from the Pies this time. There was a chain of handballs, one too many given off to Cole, who ran into a fantastic smother from Taylor Adams, who'd anticipated that last movement. The ball gets turned over, ends up out on the wing with Will Hoskin Elliott. Pies run down the clock, siren, pandemonium ensues, at least ensues, at least among the visiting team. Bit of a stunned silence from the home crowd, but just an incredible win. You think about the odds, the uh, the road trip, the Perth difficulties, the quarantine in the hotel, the dirty pies as they were labelled. Um an amazing finals winner, one which I'll be able to uh, summon motivation from for years to come, you'd think, Finey. Yeah, it was a special win by a team that even within Hub Life, which isn't, isn't of itself a period of isolation away from the rest of the world, have this ability and have had it under Nathan Buckley and even beyond to really summons some great inner strength from being sort of um, put on the road, put in their own company and just focused on football. It, it, it was a great win, as you say, a great game and, and the win of the season by any team. They have to quickly refocus. Finals are not for looking back and patting yourself on the back until you win the big one. They've got to come all the way back to Queensland and take on Geelong, who wait for them. So it's no easy task. But I think no matter what Colin would do in this final series, that will be looked upon very fondly by Collingwood players, coaches, and most importantly, fans for many years to come. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Pies fans would still be basking in the glow, I'd suggest. Well, there it is, a thorough review of four magnificent finals. Let's hope the remaining five are anywhere near as good because these were absolute crackers and uh, it's been our pleasure to run through them in some detail for you. We'll be back on Thursday with our preview of week two of the finals. But uh, before we go, Fidey, a quick shout out to our magnificent sponsors, if you will. You've enjoyed brilliant football. Go and enjoy the best in two fairly different industries. Fast food, a beautiful burger. Oh, I could massacre one now. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrews. Andrew, apostrophe, yes, hamburgers. And West Point property, Nick Spartel and the boys. And I reckon... Or Luke Ball, he'd be pretty happy with the weekend's football. St Kilda and Collingwood, both nail-biting wins, his former teams. He's on the tools there, learning the building caper. And Maguire would be pretty happy. St Kilda and Brisbane, Goose Maguire. So, yeah, happy times at West Point Properties with that big footy flavour. Thank you, Nick Spartels. Support our sponsors if you can and support us if you can. You can do that in a couple of ways. You can head to the supporter page at ACAST and uh, you can see that uh, function right here wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can also support us at our Patreon page and we're very grateful for any support you're able to provide to help keep the footyology brand and this little operation ticking along, please head to footyology.com.au to check out the latest footy analysis. Uh, some great reading. Uh, there was a terrific feature written by Shannon Gill on the Could Have Been Champions celebrating their 40th birthday this year. But not just footy. We've got uh, social commentary. We've got movies. We've got music. We've got TV. Uh, there will be a new Martin Flanagan column, which uh, I've read and is a cracker, up tomorrow. A lot of great reading at footyology.com.au. But like I said, as always, we are very, very grateful for your support. And uh, we are wrapped to be able to continue doing this with your help. That's it for this week. We'll be back on Thursday for the preview. 
Uh, wow, finals footy, you got to love it. We'll see you on Thursday.